Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. You take a couple days, you unwind, you relax, you get refreshed and replenished for the Sweet 16, and we are back again. Welcome to the Screen the Screener Podcast where we talk all things NCAA basketball slash March Madness with you. I am Mike Randall. Join you again. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Warrior Mike, F T S Y Warrior Mike. And you can find my partner Gus Kearns on Twitter at C Kearns, C K E A R N S 12. Welcome in, Mr. Kearns. Thank you, Mr. Randall. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for your personal choice of consumption of the Screen the Screener podcast. We are manufacturing this very special, very sweet 16 college basketball listening bracket experience. The evening of March 22nd. Mike and I had so much on our minds last podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in as long as you did. We hope to make this one a little bit more direct and a little bit more succinct. We aim to improve that commute to and fro. Thanks for plugging us into your car, your earbuds, and your headphones. Hopefully, we're helping you on that time outside or maybe that ride or maybe that run even if you're plugging us in when you're getting on the move. I hope everybody enjoyed a very safe St. Patrick's Day out there. Always cool when the tournament and the luck of the Irish collide in March. And this is a little bit off topic here, but we wanted to wish you a a happy World Water Day. And if you're wondering what in the world is World Water Day, we just wanted to point in the direction of an online film. It's really moving. It's called Smog of the Sea. You can find it at all one word, smogofthesea.com. It's a great film by Jack Johnson and his production crew at Brushfire Films. It's well worth the view, and you get to get a leg up on our Earth Day that's coming next month. We're always so thankful, we're humbled, and we're honestly honored to chat NCA hoops, especially the Sweet 16, with you, Mike, and our ever-increasing audience out there. Ahoy out there at Stack Demon. Go to Paul, man. And ahoy out there at Rupal77. What up, Indy? Salasha Gratulatia. Happy to have you all in. Mike, let's begin the introduction of the breakdown of our Sweet 16 show. Yeah, Gus and I are very excited. We have a fantastic breakdown for you. In honor of the Sweet 16, Gus, we've decided to do 16 topics to cover, which is fantastic. We're going to go one by one, give you details of all the games, our breakdowns, our thoughts, and do a deep dive here, and then cover a couple things at the end, because there are some news and notes going on in the world of college basketball, but we will save that to the end, Gus. Because the people right now, they're listening to it on Thursday morning. The games are tonight. They want to hear the hardcore analysis. All right, listeners, here is our Sweet 16 style, 16 topics to cover. Let's go, Mike. Topic one. Let's start big. Let's hit up UCLA versus Kentucky in the Leo spot, considering the WBC is going on. It's so nice that we get this matchup twice in one season. No team is going to hit for 100 here, right? Both teams are a little bit more locked in and committed on the defensive end. I I just don't see a repeat of the 97-92 game earlier this season in Lexington where the teams kind of went up and down and tried to outshoot each other and outscore each other. I'm feeling the point guard matchup here is worth a ticket from a stub hub for sure. Both Fox and Ball are going to go somewhere in the top 10 in the NBA draft in June, You know, depending on what teams need. And who trades up? I think the the key here is going to be who's going to be the better Robin. Is it going to be Malik Monk? Is it going to be TJ Leaf? Is it going to be Bryce Alford? Is it going to be Bam? How about Holiday? How about Briscoe? This game just might be the best game on the Thursday, Friday night slate, right? Like, 
what in the world is going to happen in this game? Are they going to score 90, or is the game going to be in the 70s because they're both, both more committed on the defensive end? Well, Gus, let me give you some thoughts here. And I, I have very strong opinions on all these games, right? Why, why else wouldn't I, right? But uh, I don't – I put this out on Twitter. I don't see a way that Kentucky can beat UCLA. Let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. Certainly Kentucky is super talented, Fox, Monk, Bam. I mean, yes, I understand that. But right now UCLA is scalding hot. Right now, Lonzo Ball, who took over the Cincinnati game, they were losing before he decided to flip the switch. And it kills me with LeVar Ball to even mention that, but he took the game over. To me, Fox and uh, Ball, head up, heads up, is, is wash at best. Okay, I, I, I don't see Fox massively outplaying Ball. Okay, so then we're going to go to Robin, as you said. And it's funny that you're mentioning that Robin would be Malik Monk because earlier in the year, Fox was Robin. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you some stats here, my friend, because I like stats. Over the last 10 games, Malik Monk is 44 of 126 from the field. That's 34%. Over the last 10 games, Malik Monk is 14 of 49 from three-point range. That's 28%. That ain't getting it done. UCLA has a very balanced scoring attack. If Welsh isn't scoring, then Leaf can be scoring. And if Leaf isn't scoring, then Hamilton can be scoring. And if Hamilton isn't scoring, then Holiday will score. Kentucky doesn't have the same luxury. I am very excited that John Calipari took my earlier advice this year and decided to start playing Derek Willis over Wenyon Gabriel. Wenyon Gabriel, Gus, over the last five games has played eight minutes, 17 minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes, and seven minutes. And his points over the last five games, Gus, or rather, Gus, should I say his points over the last eight games? Would you like to hear those? I, two, I assume they'll be small numbers. Two, zero, two, zero, two, two, one, zero. So Mr. Gabriel is non-existent. Derek Willis has to rebound and make threes for them. Briscoe can't make a jump shot. Fox is tremendous. No argument there. Bam has been better. I will say Bam is certainly better inside. He's been making more free throws. He's been active. He's been scoring. Love Bam. Okay, love Bam. Bam Adebayo, not as my Francesca said, Bam Abadeo. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> what, I, what I will say is I just don't see how Kentucky wins this game. Calipari is not an in-game adjustment guy. He's an LG guy. He's a let's-go guy. He's maybe the best recruiter of, of our generation. But he's not an X and O guy. I think Alford is. I think UCLA is too deep. I think they have too many scoring options. I think that Ball, at any point when he decides to lock people down, i.e. Dylan Brooks in Oregon, he can do so. So I think he can limit Fox to a certain extent. And Monk's going to have to have a game, which I read you the stats he hasn't had in the last 10 games. So to me, this is UCLA by a 10 to 15 point win. Not saying what I'm going to root for. I'm saying what I think is going to happen. I'll probably root for the opposite, but if you're making make, make a prediction, I think UCLA wins going away. Interesting. I kind of feel the other way here. I feel like that maybe Kentucky has two best players on the floor. I, I'm not entirely sure how the game will go, but I mean, if this isn't the game you're going to pay attention to on Friday night, I don't know what game you are. Okay, topic number two. Let's go to Butler UNC. And there's some history here, too, to go along with the UCLA-Kentucky history with them playing twice in one season. You may ask yourself, hey, why, why are you even talking about this game in the second slot? Does Butler have any shot here? Yeah, of course they do, people. Of course. In 2014, the Bulldogs upset the then number 5 ranked Tar Heels. And yeah, Keelan Martin was on that team and scored 17 points in that game. 
Meeks and Justin Jackson played big minutes on the other side of the ball for UNC. So, yes, Butler does have a shot here. Does it seem like that way on paper? No, but it didn't seem that way either in, in 2014. Everybody's been underselling Butler all year. They don't deserve a four seed. How did they beat Villanova? Why are they ranked so high? How are they still in the top 25? All right, newsflash, people. They're really well coached. They have decent players. And they play really hard inside their system. It doesn't take that. It's not that hard to figure out. Look, the players that are going to play really hard, that are really well coached inside their system, does it seem like that they're going to have a chance against this really well-schooled, kind of hungry UNC team? No, it doesn't. The point spread says so. Vegas says so. But I bet this game is a little bit closer than you think in the first half. Do I see a similar margin, Mike Randall, that you see in the UCLA-Kentucky game in this game? Yeah, sure. I see UNC winning by about 10, maybe 11 pulling away in the second half. But by no means do I see Butler getting outclassed, blown out, or totally getting their doors blown off here. I think Butler's going to play really hard. I think they're going to slow down the game. But UNC has shown a penchant all year where they can go ahead and win a game in any style. They can they can win a slowdown game against uh, UVA. They can win a speed-up game and play you know, with Kentucky. They can play almost any style, although they love to play fast at their speed, about 80, 85 points. They've proven that they can win at any speed, and I don't think this is going to be in any different. I think they've already played this game against UVA a couple times this year, so I think this is a UNC game to lose, but... Please don't end undersell Butler here because they've done it before and history's on their side. Yeah, I, the snippet's there. We talked last time about the snippet, how certainly a Butler team that's beaten Villanova twice this year, then they can beat anybody in the, in the tournament. They beat the number one seed twice. So why couldn't they beat anyone else? I just don't see it. I, I see an inconsistent Butler team. I see a team that lost at St. John's. I see a team that lost to Georgetown. I see a team that lost at home back-to-back then to Creighton without Mo Watson. A team that lost to Providence a team that lost at home to Seton Hall, a team that lost again at home to Xavier. I, I just don't – listen, they beat Winthrop, okay? Right. It's right. great. And, and they beat Middle Tennessee, who we love. Listen, certainly the argument can be made that they can do it because they have beaten some of the top teams in the country this year. That's the snippet. That's the extension. I just don't see it. I, I think that UNC is a, a championship contender. I think they dodge their bullet, you know, and a lot of, you know, a lot of your teams yeah. that, that go to the title always dodge the bullet. The one that com- the, the one that came to mind – uh, Shabazz Napier, UConn's a seven back in 2014 versus number 10 seed St. Joe's. St. Joe's is, is up. Gosh, you remember this game. They're up 60 to 57 with, yeah. with 47 seconds left. And then Almeida Brima rebounds a Napier miss and gets an N1 and makes the free throw. He knows a 58% free throw shooter. If St. Joe's gets that rebound or does not foul Brima or Brima misses that free throw, UConn does probably doesn't win the title. So oftentimes there are these games where you just have to dodge a bullet and get there. I think UNC had it. Uh, I'm with you on the first half thing. Butler is very well coached. They're gutty. I could certainly see that, but I see this with a similar double-digit win for UNC. Topic number three. This is kind of in your wheelhouse. Let's go to Michigan, getting right at the right time. Mike, you were in on this Michigan team kind of earlier this season, calling for them to have a big run later on in the season, whether it be in the uh, Big Ten tournament or currently right now in the NCAA tournament. They have senior guards that can create their own shot. They have an undervalued big coming of age right before our eyes in Mo Wagner. They have a coach with Final Four history. Mike, you can gloat a little bit here. 
you can brag a little bit here. You can say, hey, I had this one right about a month ago. You can also say, hey, calm down, everybody. They might lose this next game. But, Mike, congratulations. You were on this Michigan team. Michigan, Michigan team, you know, back when they were like four and uh, fourteen and nine. How did they get to this point, and why are they playing so well now? They have a great coach, which you never undersell. Uh, undersell. I undersold a beeline that year that he made the finals with Trey Burke, and I would. Say, I vowed I would never do it again. He was probably he was right. in trouble that before that year. People were talking about getting rid of him. They didn't know what he was doing. Just want to remind the people that how, how finicky the public is. And I don't know, Gus, we've been watching this and we've been filling out brackets and doing a bunch of stuff. And how many times have we gotten burned by a team with good senior guards over and over again? So we talk about take lock, right? I had take lock and I wasn't backing off on this one. They have senior guards. Wagner inside impressed me. I was not sure how good he was going to be. And he impressed me as the year went on. So here we go. Freedom of motion. There's not a ton of lockdown teams that also score. Carolina turns the defense on and off. UCLA turns defense on at the absolute last second. So I'm like, why not? They can shoot the three well. I will say this. I mean, this is the same team that lost at Illinois earlier this year. Then they lost at home against Maryland. They lost at Michigan State. They lost at home to Ohio State. I mean, there were some spotty losses here, just like I criticized Butler. But because I like Michigan, I'm going to ignore the bad losses in Michigan, and I'm going to blame Butler for the bad losses. But how I, convenient, Mike? Randall. Right, can- I, right. Listen, I, I am total hypocrite. I just I'm open about it. That's all I want to be. But uh, <laughs> what I will say is this: I will take Michigan in this game. I like Oregon. If, if Boucher was there, I would have picked him to the Final Four. I jumped off every other Final Four pick, right? Mm-hmm. St. Mary's, Baylor. I would not have jumped off of this one. I would have put them in the Final Four. Dorsey's got some guts. Dylan Brooks has to stop getting stupid technical fouls. Uh, Big B. Williams has done a nice job. I, I just think Michigan is on a roll right now. They beat Louisville. Why wouldn't they beat Oregon? They are favored by one and a half. 7C favored by one and a half. And I yeah. will point out, Gus, one last thing. It's not like they've been on fire from three yet. So this nope. team is a really good three-point shooting team. Uh, the first round, they were very good against in three-pointers. But against Louisville, Gus, 6 of 17. So not outstanding, but they nope. always make their free throws. If Wagner stays out of foul trouble, that's the key because they go into the bench there and they don't really have anybody. They're going to win this game, I believe it. So I, I, I like Michigan. They have guards. They shoot it. They have a great coach. Not anything prophetic here. You saying Wisconsin's going to beat Villanova is a lot more prophetic than me saying Michigan's good. But I, I will take Michigan here to win this game. I think they're too hot. Topic number four, we are addicted to quack here. Mike, are Dorsey and Brooks like too much of a duo for anybody to handle, including Michigan? Will the Boucher injury catch up with them? At this particular matchup, will Pritchard make another big play to win a game for this team because all the attention is going to be on the defensive end to Dorsey and Brooks? Will Bell continue to push people around and get a double-double? This is a good matchup here. It's like the hot team versus the compromise team, Michigan being the hot team and Oregon being the compromise team. So topic four, give me a little take on your preseason Final Four pick, Oregon, even though you dove into it a tiny bit earlier. The key with Oregon is it's the classic Dylan Brooks can take over a game. They actually learned to play without him, which I thought was really impressive. And then they ended up getting everybody back together and scoring. Tyler Dorsey may be the best Robin left in the tournament if he continues to pump in 24 points per game. Oh, my goodness. But without Boucher in the game, 
The key player I see in this game is Jordan Bell because Jordan Bell only had six points and 12 rebounds. Jordan Bell can score a little bit, Gus, right? He can make some short-range jump shots, putbacks. He's not terrible from the – from the free throw line, 71%. So I think Bell's got to score a little bit because to me, watching that Rhode Island game, did it seem like they just kept pressing out and trying to make farther threes? Like it seemed the offense didn't really run as well. So if I'm Altman, I want to get a Bell going early here. Oregon's really good. They can get through this game and they can certainly beat the winner of Kansas-Purdue. We'll get into a little bit. And it would be a good story because Dane Altman's a really good coach, and he lost a six eleven guy that makes threes like a week and a half before the tournament started, which is kind of cheap. Topic number five: Kansas. Will this off the court static stuff finally catch up with them? With more lights, more mics, more questions being asked, more reporters, and more attention overall. And do they have anyone that can check Caleb Swanigan in this game, Mike? I think we can just start with what are your thoughts on Bill Self and what he's planning to do with Caleb Swanigan and the extra attention his team is going to get due to the off-the-court situations that they've had this particular season with this particular roster. Bill Self's done his best coaching job I've seen this year, Gus, and I've been critical of Bill Self with his dribble-weave handoffs at the end of games. Whether it's going to the uh, you know triangle and two against Kentucky, uh, he's been an out- done an outstanding job. But here, really quick, here's my thoughts. Kansas has not been tested yet. Kansas has had some interesting games this year, and the games in which they've lost, there's been a pattern. Here's the pattern. Gus, they lost to West Virginia, okay, on that game at West Virginia. First of all, there was foul trouble on someone. Josh Jackson had five. He fouled out. Yep. They had a big guy inside who dominated. Issa Mott had 27 points in that game, and Landon Lucas only Okay, I don't know if Issa Mott's had 27 points in the last five games combined, all right? And West Virginia was 8 of 20 from three-point range in that game. That's, uh, that's 40%. When they lost to Indiana the first game in the beginning of the year, Thomas Bryant was 19 and 10. Indiana crushed them on the boards, 50 to 39. And by the way, Indiana was 15 of 31 from three-point range in that game. That's, that's wow. almost 50%. Let's go to the Iowa State game. Deontay Burton, I know he's not a center, but he plays right. big. 29 and 8 in that game. Now, Iowa State got killed on the boards because Iowa State is no inside game. They got killed by Kansas 45-25, but Landon Lucas was in foul trouble. And, of course, Gus, how they make up for it? Well, Iowa State went 18-34 from three-point range in that game, which I don't think Purdue is doing. What does Purdue need for this game? They need good Vince Edwards. The loss at Nebraska, he had six points. The loss in the Big Ten quarterfinal in Michigan, he had eight points. They need good Vince Edwards. They need to control the boards with Haas and Swanigan, and they need to be able to make some threes. I want to see Kansas in trouble. I want to see Kansas in trouble late in the second half. I think this is a bad matchup for them, and I really do think that Purdue is going to win the game. I just think that Swanigan is on a Danny Manning-like carpet ride. Here's what I think about this. I think Kansas has been playing with fire too much, too often this particular season, and I think if they play with fire in one of these tournament games here, whether it be on Thursday or Friday or the following weekend if they move on, I, I just don't think there's that many candles to burn for them. I, 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 like, how can they possibly win another game with a gigantic comeback against uh, West Virginia? How can they possibly win another game with a blown travel call? How many times can they win a game with Frank Mason saving a day? Like, at some point, that luck factor has to run out for them, and it just might run out for them this weekend. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Amen, young man. <laughs> amen. Hey, topic number six, speaking of Purdue. So who is the player of the year, right? 
Do we give it to Biggie and all his double doubles? Do we give it to Mason from Kansas and his sick numbers in the Big 12? How about Hart and his amazing season at Villanova, even though they're at the tournament? Maybe Ball and his unique skill set out west? That sounds like a pretty perfect All-American team right there with one one player missing. I think the question in this particular game is, like you mentioned before, will Purdue hit enough threes here? And will Haas find the mismatch here? And will Painter expose that size mismatch enough to go ahead and give Purdue an advantage in that particular mismatch in size down low? Uh, Mike Randall, any thoughts on who should be the player of the year or just Purdue in general? Don't think it's hard. I mean, hard at his year last year. He played great this year, don't get me wrong, but they didn't really end it in the biggest fashion. I mean, they won the Big East tournament, but I can't give it to Hart. I want to give it to Swanigan, which again, when I do that, we do that recap show at the end of the year. Gus, I'm going to play back what you said about Caleb Swanigan at the beginning of the year, which is really unbelievable. He was not on people's All-American team. People can say they were. I think he was on like second team all Big Ten in this magazine I saw. I mean, it's just, it's just it, what your call was incredible. I think you have to give it to Mason. I'm looking for an argument to give it to Swanigan, and I can't. They were basically the number one or two team in the country the entire year. They lost to Azabuki. They had 5 million arrests on the team. He was consistent. He's shooting like 48% from three-point range. Swanigan is great, too. And I will still argue that Swanigan is more important to his team than Mason is, and I will get a lot of heat from Kansas fans on that. But I do give it to Mason. I don't give it to Lonzo Ball because, Gus, you cannot tell me that a team with Welsh... Leaf, Hamilton, Holiday, and Alford doesn't make the NCAA tournament. Correct. I, they, they make the NCAA tournament, folks. But Purdue without Swanigan, I don't know about that one. Uh, they're certainly on the bubble and they're sweating it. So to me, it's it's uh, Mason first and Swanigan a, a little one A right behind him. I think I, you know what I hope happens. I hope like Mason gets a couple of the awards, and then like you know you know because they have like you know what, three or four of these Player of the Year awards. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I hope that like they get split somehow and, and Swanigan gets one of them, whether it be a, a you know a second-tier award or something like that. They're both going to be like one and two in every ballot. I don't know how you couldn't have one, you know Mason or a Swanigan as one or two in your Player of the Year ballot overall. I think Hart or Ball is a perfect choice for three or four. And then you know we'll argue along the way here on who the fifth player might be. Topic number seven. How about we get Xavier versus Arizona again? That is just awesome. We have a coach versus former team, obviously Coach Miller versus Xavier. Remember that Miller led the Xavier team to the Elite Eight in 2008 and lost to that awesome UCLA team with, like, Kevin Love. Good recall. Westbrook, right? Yes. Um, And they went on to the Final Four a couple years in a row. So Miller just missed with Xavier at that point and lost to, obviously, a much better team. And then in 2015, these two squads met with Arizona moving on to meet that Kaminsky-Wisconsin team for a berth to the Final Four, and Arizona came up just a little bit short there. Um, Arizona beat uh, Xavier 69-60 in a little rock fight of a game there, which you knew that was going to be the case going in. Will that Xavier kooky like 1-3-1 zone that they run out there give the Wildcats fits and negate the size advantage that uh, Arizona holds? I bet Chris Mack is going to pump some solid locker room music and his team is going to be loose and free and kind of playing with a little bit of house money while Arizona comes out a little bit tight. I can smell a Mike Randall special first half cover here in this particular game. Mike, are you excited about this game as I'm as I'm excited about this game? Are you looking forward to anything in particular in this particular game? You're darn right I'm excited. I give in. Okay, I, I give in. 
I love the jump on my back and I will take you to the promised land player. Between what happened with Miles Davis and what happened with Sumner, there was every yeah. reason for this Xavier team to fold. Remember, they got blitzed by Villanova when they hosted that game. There was tents outside, and they got blitzed at home. Chris Mack has done a fantastic job. He is the next coach who's going to make a leap. He's the next. But you see all these guys like Will Wade going to LSU. I have no idea why he went to LSU, by the way. But you see all these coaches jumping. Mack is the next big one. What he's done here is tremendous. He's built Xavier into a powerhouse nationally. That's right. I said it. Trayvon Blewett is pretty much get the heck out of my way. Do I think they're going to beat Arizona? No, because I think Gooden's got to give him more than six. Jones at 13 last time. McCure at 10. He stopped shooting too much, as we talked about. They have, right. they have Gates coming off the bench. He's going to score for him. I just don't think they have enough weapons. But yes, I'm excited because I want to see greatness. I want to see the Sindarius Thornwells and the Trayvon Blewetts just say, you know what, Paul. Okay, I want to see that happen. First half cover, lock it up. I think Arizona wins, but of course I'm excited to see this because why the heck not? Xavier's coming in. They should warm up without basketballs, Gus. Just why not? Let's just see what happens, right? <laughs> it's perfect. So here, here, here's the prescription for an Xavier win. So let's just hit the rewind button, and let's say the game is going to be like 69-60, like it was two years ago. That gives Trayvon Blewett a chance to go for 30, and if he's going to go for 30... Like they have a chance to win that game if the scoring is that low and the possessions are that are that uh, hard to come by. Like that's the way Xavier's going to win this game. If this game gets up and down, and Arizona goes ahead and run, runs it with uh, Trier and 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 Kobe Simmons and, and Markin and makes a bunch of threes and they get into the 80s, I think they're going to have a tough time winning. But we saw what they did to Florida State. Like I think it'd be silly to ignore Xavier in this game. I think I really think it would be silly. Listen, and Sean Miller doesn't need coaching advice, but if he's listening right now, Sean, real simple, switch all screens on Blow It. All right, make Xavier go to somebody else and just keep switching screens. You got you guys who can do you got marketing, you got Alkins, you got a bunch of guys there, Kobe Simmons, Allen, you know, Trier, switch all screens on Blow It and make him hit somebody else. That's just my suggestion if you're listening, Sean Miller. Uh, that's a great suggestion. Topic number eight, my beloved Gonzaga versus West Virginia. This game is awesome. Here's why, one reason why it's awesome. It's a matchup that has the number one Ken Palm team battling the number six Ken Palm ranked team. It's the best metric matchup in the Sweet 16 that we have going. I am praying and hoping and rooting for a West Virginia road performance that has been Roethlisberger-like that you referenced earlier this season. I bet that brain fart and that turnover machine that Josh Perkins turned into in the last minute of that BYU game becomes that teachable, coachable moment that wins the game here for the Zags. The Zags are going to have to deal with this press Virginia. They're going to have to rely on more than one ball handler. They're going to have to pass the ball off from Nigel Williams-Goss. This is going to be a moment for Coach Few to shine where he really hammered that one element home and said, like, this is where we need to get better as a team. Josh Perkins, you need to make better decisions with the ball and not move so hastily. The Bulldogs will face the toughest press and the best group of guards with this Coach Huggins team and his Mountaineers. Plus, anyone smell foul trouble with those guards doubling down on Big Shem? I do. His size, his health, his ability, his undervalued smoothness is going to be a factor. When they go ahead and try to double down on him because they have nobody that can check him, i feeling like one side or the other side is going to fall into some foul trouble. One final thought. This could be the defining game for Nigel Williams-Goss's like Gonzaga career 
against this type of pressure, I am very eager to see how he navigates the press, Virginia. Mike, I'm unbelievably excited to watch this game. What are you going to look forward to in this game? I'm thrilled because, to me, this is put up or shut up time for Gonzaga. And I will tell you, I think they're going to put up. I, I think that all those people out there, they want to see Gonzaga win this game. You are playing a Big 12 team. You are playing a team that beat Baylor. You are ta- playing a team that beat Kansas. So they beat two very good teams in that conference. Gonzaga, two, two teams two teams that were ranked number one in the country this year previously. That's exactly right. They have the street cred. I, I just think, Gus, that Gonzaga has too many guards, as you said, too many weapons. I actually think that I think they're going to go away from Shemek in this game like they did last huh. time. You mm-hmm. know how he only played 21 minutes when push came to shove cuz West Virginia is going to be pressing him up and down the floor. They will not double. They cannot afford to double Shemek in the post, I don't think. I, I think they're going to have to play him straight up. But if this is a half court game, West Virginia is going to lose. All right, they're going to lose big. It reminds me of that game they played Kentucky a couple years ago, Gus. Remember big West Virginia? Yeah. I think he's playing John Denver for you before that game. And then Devin <laughs> yeah. Williams came out and had two fouls in the first like two minutes. And then Kentucky and then blown out by 100. Yeah. Right. To me, they got to keep shooting the three well, which West Virginia is very shaky with that. They have to turn Gonzaga over. They have to get them tired. And I will go to your guy. Again, I can't jump on the, the bandwagon any later than I have. Zach Collins, seven foot, 230-pound freshman. He'll run the floor. He'll rebound the ball. He'll get up and down. He'll do some pins from the weak side on those dribble penetrations. Absolutely. I just think Gonzaga's too good. I think the people who bet West Virginia here are underselling Gonzaga. I'm excited to see it. And if I see West Virginia making shots, I'll be even more excited because I want to see Gonzaga get hit here a little bit. This is a very important game for the Gonzaga program. If they lose this game, people are going to say, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's lost in the Sweet 16. A great team. Yeah, I'm okay, fine. But if they win this game, they are one step away from the Final Four that they richly deserve. I'm picking Gonzaga. I think it's super close, but I cannot see West Virginia playing that well on offense yet again for three consecutive games in this tournament. I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think that they're going to show the consistency for 40 minutes. I do think Gonzaga's low post presence and play is going to be an element for the entire 40 minutes, and I think that's going to be something that West Virginia is going to struggle with. I'm going to say give me the give me the Bulldogs here to advance, and I love that they have a chance to make the Final Four, and it might even be against Sean Miller. And again, best coach that hasn't been to the Final Four ever. That'd be great, great storyline. But topic number nine, let's get to your guys, South Carolina. Oh, are you? Is everybody okay with Cinderius Thornwell being, you know, the final player on that All American team now that we mentioned earlier, like with uh, Swanigan? and Mason and Ball and let's throw in uh, Hart and then let's give the last spot to to Thornwell. He's playing out of his head in this tournament. He's going to have to beat out Nigel Williams-Goss and a few other people, but Mike, you have been on this Thornwell thing all season long. Is he good enough for the Gamecocks to get another win here? You're darn right he is. Trayvon Blue can beat Arizona. Sindarius Thornwell can certainly beat Baylor. Baylor's going to play that zone. If they don't shade him, he's going to bury them. As far as your first team All-American, Gus, I think it's a great call. If you look back in history, they always have room for a guy who's a big-time scorer on a team that maybe didn't have a fantastic like top four or five team year. Let's go back. Certainly uh, last year, you had a bunch of scores, but second team, you had your Chris Dunn's. Yeah, sure. You, you had, you know, third team, you had Kay Felder. 
Okay. Jared Utoff made it in the third team. This is a South Carolina team that's making a legit run in the tournament. Go back to 2014-2015. Jerry Grant got first team All-American on that wow. team. Go back to 2013-2014. This is the best example. Sean Kilpatrick of Cincinnati was first team All-American that year. So there is no reason why Thornwell can't make it. He missed some games early. We understand mm-hmm. that. Frank Martin hasn't played in defense. I expect this to be a very slow, low-scoring game in the Garden. Uh, South Carolina played there earlier this year, but they played, as, as the broken record said, without Sundarius Thornwell, we used to say. Baylor's going to slow it down, less possessions, as you say. Really close game. I'm going to shade Baylor. I am, because I think Motley inside is going to be too tough, and I just don't see a repeat performance of South Carolina's offensive explosion against the slowdown zone. But absolutely, Thornwell could take this game over. He could drop 35 points, and they could be in the Elite Eight. No doubt. That'd be awesome. Uh, I love that they've made it this far already. Uh, so, I, again, I think they're in the same boat as Xavier here. I think they're going to be playing pretty loose and pretty free. And I feel like they're going to be playing, you know, like with, a, you know, we mentioned the term house money before. I, I think they're going to be I think they're going to be really comfortable in this spot. I don't think there's going to be any nerves on their end. I think Coach Martin is going to coach his team that way. I'm kind of looking forward to them coming out and being a little loosey-goosey and not being this like uptight defensive team. I'm looking forward to them like putting up some good shots and feeling really comfortable on the offensive end. Topic number 10. Mike, your preseason unranked Final Four selection is the top remaining seed in the East. That's right. It's your Baylor Bears. They are favored in this game even. Go ahead. Tell the people. Tell the people about Seth Greenberg calling you a guru earlier this season on this very podcast for your prediction of the Baylor Bears making it to the Final Four. Motley is alive for that final All-American spot, too, All-American team spot, too. It's almost like Thornwell and him are going head-to-head for that last spot in this particular game. Do you want to do you want to crow here a little bit, or are you, are you jumping off the bandwagon? No, because all our listeners will ridicule me in two seconds because I jumped off the bandwagon. So we make those predictions at the beginning of the year, but I guess we got to throw a caveat in next year, Gus, because once we see the matchups, that could all change. So basically, I never thought Baylor would get by SMU and Duke. I thought that was too much. I thought they could get right. by maybe SMU. Maybe they get sure. lucky. I don't know. But I did like the fact that they're a hard matchup, and I think they're a really hard matchup for a mediocre team like South Carolina. And I also like them against those other two teams in the other top part of the bracket as well, Wisconsin and Florida. But I just like the matchup. I like Motley. LeConte's been undersold. They are finally getting production, Gus, from Al Freeman. There's the snippet, right? I mean, all season long, I'm saying they need somebody else to step up. No one steps up. Freeman gets suspended for doing something, right? And all of a sudden, bang, now he's throwing points left and right. Okay. So I feel like the narrative came together, but I did jump off the ship. Listen, Baylor's really good. Scott Drew could make it as well. We could be looking next week, Gus, when we talk about the Elite Eight, or rather on the weekend, the Elite Eight at Scott Drew, uh, Mark Few, and Sean Miller all having a chance to make the Final Four. And that's That'd what basketball awesome. is about. Yeah. Yeah. Be awesome. Hey, how awesome was Manu LeCompte, speaking of awesome, in that endgame situation? He, he won that game for clutch. them. He was, oh, he was incredible. Yeah. Oh, real clutch. And he's undersold, too. He's not six feet. Stop with the measurements, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, we, we can go maybe like, you know, 5'11 with sneakers on. Okay. But he was great. I hope he plays that well again against South Carolina. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. That's a really undersold matchup in the Sweet 16. Okay, topic 11, Florida. The simple question here is expected or surprising? Is it expected that they made the Final Four? I mean, is it expected that they made the Sweet 16? Because they've been a metrics darling, 
all year, and they're currently ranked the number three Ken Palm team. Is it surprising because they came into the tournament losing three out of their last four? I think it's kind of tough to define either way. But here's what I noticed. Here's what jumped off the screen at me watching a couple of their games. You know who's the real difference maker in the past couple of games for the Gators here? It's Devin Robinson. He's been the best player for this team in this tournament. He kind of reminds me of Malachi Richardson from Syracuse last year. Like a very skilled student athlete shining at the right time on the big stage for his program and really making a difference helping his team make a Final Four run. He might be having that type of tournament, that type of breakout, uh, that type of like, hey, here I am, guys. Don't forget, I was highly recruited coming into Florida. I'm just showing out right now on the biggest stage. Like it might be that time. It might be that time for Devin Robinson. Are we sold on the metrics, loving the Gators, and also them getting hot at the right time after hitting a little pitfall? Or are we jumping off the bandwagon with the Gators and saying, yeah, the SEC's gone far enough? Both them and South Carolina are going to lose this 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 particular round and not move any further. What, what's your feeling on the Gators and the SEC overall? Boy, just fa- again, a snippet game. They lose three of their last four, Gus, at the end of the regular season. They lose at Kentucky, played well for most of the game, but lost it at the end. Then they lose to Vanderbilt back-to-back, and certainly everybody jumps off the ship. But people forget that before then, they won nine games in a row. And you're right about Robinson. He has 49 points in the last three games. Hello. Okay. Uh, listen, this team is balanced. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Why not? I'm buy- I would have bought them against Villanova, too, the way they're playing right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I jumped off the bandwagon quickly because I said the Vanderbilt losses back-to-back were too much. My fault. They they beat East Tennessee State. They held Cromer down. They beat, they waxed Virginia, and they said, which means that they can play defense, too. Okay. And now they're playing a Wisconsin team that's really hot. I, I Why not? I, this is the last game on Friday night. I can't wait for it. I don't know who's going to win this game. This is a very tough game to call, but absolutely Florida can make the Final Four. Absolutely can, 100%. I, I don't know who's going to win this game either. The one thing I'm actually looking forward to this, and, I, and you kind of just mentioned it a little previously um, with their previous matchups, is Hill is playing a little bit out of his head defensively. He took care of Cromer. He took care of Parentes and Guy and Jerome for UVA. Is he going to take care of Bronson Canning too? Like, is that, is that the mat? Like that's the matchup I'm looking forward to. I can't wait to see those two guys go head to head and see who can come out on top. Like Hill may not outscore Canning, but it's possible that he's going to have such a big influence on the game that his negating uh, Bronson's offensive efficiency, which he's had, like he's been, he's been playing out of his head a little bit too in this tournament. And he's, completely out of control i kind of want to see that matchup and see if hill can get in his shorts a little bit and disrupt him and get him off his spots where he likes to pull up for that jumper the be- the that, best- that's going to be really fascinating to watch best thing hill can do is try not to be a scorer and do exactly what he did against line apprentice his turnovers can go up and down he's had two turnovers four one five and three the last five games you know that Wisconsin's going to be efficient, so they better be efficient. If Hill can just play defense on Koenig and cause problems for him, his job is done. He doesn't need to score. Agreed. Totally agreed. Uh, speaking of Wisconsin, they are topic number 12. Number 12, Wisconsin. Let's get it out of the way. If these guys stay out of foul trouble, they're an issue for anybody. If Hap, Hayes, Koenig stay out of foul trouble, they can beat anybody, anytime, on any floor. And let's just throw into the mix that against the Villanova, Hap 
actually collected two quickies and made this team kind of ordinary. And in the second half, we had Caning on the on the bench with four fouls in a crucial point in the game, and they actually got down seven and then came back and won that game. That's why this Villanova game makes no sense, and this tournament is totally awesome. Because just when you think you have it figured out, boom, something amazing happens like Wisconsin defeating Villanova with two of their best players in foul trouble. Both Caning and Hap had foul troubles, and that's why the Badgers pulled this amazing upset. It was absolutely out of control. I think Florida is in for a surprise here. I know that they're going to be well. I know they're going to be well coached by Coach White and the coaching staff down there. They do an unbelievable job. They've done an unbelievable job all season. That's why they're in the position they are right now. But I think they're going to find out how underseeded Wisconsin is this year. Mike, you talked a little about the Gators. Give give your Wisconsin opinion, please. Uh, Wisconsin again is just baffling to me. Certainly, we knew this is the team they could be. If you go back to our first podcast that we did, you know, way back in October, part one, college basketball preview, real exciting title. <laughs> you know, everything. Listen, don't, we, you know, don't don't sell yourself short with the titles. You've been killing it with the titles lately. We had to start somewhere. That's where we started. It's, gosh, this is awful. Just thank the listeners for staying with us. Uh, you, but, but, you know, this you know, Ethan Happ is a great scorer. We love Nigel Hayes. Caning was making shots last year. Then he got hurt. This is a team that lost to Northwestern, at Michigan, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, home, Iowa. My goodness, five Tough. of the last six in the regular season. Then all of a sudden they turned around. They still lost to Michigan in the final game. Maybe that said a lot more about Michigan than about Wisconsin. Gus, I don't see how they're not in this game. They have a height advantage inside. They had an inside advantage against Villanova. They have an inside advantage now with Noah Bunu for Florida. So I think they're going to be right there. Uh, if you made me pick, I'd probably take Wisconsin, it, it, to be honest with you. I think it is that close. And, I, I, you know, to me, they're playing real well. Guard's done a good job. I didn't think he was Bo Ryan, but you know what? He's been pretty darn good. Koenig sure is hot. Why not, man? Why not? This is, it's going to be a great game either way. I'm, look, I'm totally looking forward to it. Uh, I, I don't know which way I'm leaning yet. I might have to get a little closer to the game. Uh, but I'm with you. I think it's a pick em. I think it's a coin flip game. I think Florida's going to be surprised, and it's going to show how underseated the Badgers were. Topic number 13, speaking of our beloved Badgers, you think the NCA is a little worried that our guy, Nigel Hayes, is going to have more mics pointed at him in this particular round? More cameras, more opportunity to speak his mind? I, for one, can't wait. I can't wait to hear what the Sharp Hayes has to share. I can't wait to feel the NCAA squirm after he talks. I can't wait to see or hear who backs Nigel's opinions and who runs away from them the other way as fast as they can. I'm very happy that he's going to garner more attention. I just want to say, keep doing your thing, Mr. Hayes. Keep doing your thing. What you're doing is important, and I'm glad that it's going to get the attention that it deserves this particular weekend, and I hope you have a big stage and everybody tunes into what you're going to say. Mike, we've championed Nigel Hayes all year. We've done it initially on the podcast very early on. We've done it all season, not for his play, but just for him speaking out on important topics that matter not to basketball, but to the American public. I'm so glad that he's going to be on the stage, and I just hope he does his thing and everybody tunes in to listen because he's super smart. He's unbelievably sharp. And he's really well thought out with what he needs to say. I'm happy for Hayes, and I like that he's speaking out. I love that Koenig went uh, to talk about the pipeline. That was the right move. You're talking about people's land there and people's home. I do have a differing opinion here, Gus, on Hayes. Okay. Listen, Nigel, I understand the point about how you think the college players should be paid. 
But let's remember one thing, big guy. You get a free scholarship. Both Gus and I were Division I athletic captains of our team. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying you get a lot of stuff with that, okay? If you want to argue, Gus, that they should be paid, you know, they should be allowed in a capitalist society to go out and get paid, I have no problem with that. If Nigel Hayes can secure a sneaker deal, secure a sneaker deal. But let's not, I mean, here's my point. I don't want the Sweet 16 to turn into some political statement. And if it's going to turn into that, that's fine. But give me an answer. Like, I've never heard from Nigel Hayes, unless you've heard it and I haven't. What do you want, to, what do you want him to pay you? You want him to pay $100 a game? $200 a game? Do you want you make the same as Zach Showalter? Should you get more? Like, to me, I, I, I get it. And I think he has a good podium. I don't want necessarily see the Sweet 16 become a sit-in, like a huge like complaint. But Nigel, you're a smart enough guy. What's the solution? You've identified the problem that Duke and Wisconsin and these programs make millions of dollars. That is 100% true. But there's a flip side to that coin, and I just don't know, Gus, where I stand. I want to hear where you stand on this. Yeah. Duke's had some great players, right? And they've made a lot of money off that players. You know what? They've made money off of Duke, too. And, and you know, Nigel, like, you're at a great university, man, and you're getting a free education, and you're getting a lot of stuff for it. So I think there's an avenue here that they should get paid. I agree with him. But I like to start hearing some answers. Like, wh- what is the? A- are we just going to complain about the problem and then just say, "Well, I'm complaining about it and hold the sign up on game day"? Like, what do you think the answer is here, man? I-, I don't know. Like, should they get paid X amount of dollars? Do you think they should get a cut of the revenue? And if so, my question is, how do you pay the little Mike Randall on the bench who stinks? The same about his Nigel Hayes, who's, who's the star. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this. So I don't know if we need a stance. I don't know if we need a position. I don't know if we need to be on one side of the line or the other side of the line. The only thing that I'm championing here and applauding and standing up and saying, listen to this, is that we have a smart student athlete who's starting the conversation in the proper way. By no means is he belittling anybody. By no means is he degrading anybody. He is simply bringing up a hot button topic on a bigger stage. And I think that's totally appropriate. And like, we can just applaud him for doing that. I think once we start looking at him for answers, solutions, or problem solving, like, okay, I bet he could do it. I bet if he sat down with some of his professors, or maybe some of his coaching staff, or maybe some other really sharp student athletes like himself, they would come up with an awesome proposal much like the Northwestern football players did. I have no doubt in my mind that that would happen. However, what I'd like to bring up is that the conversation is being started by him, and we need to give him props for that, because not any other student athletes are doing that. Not any other student athletes are putting themselves out there on social media and on big-time networks and forcing the question to be asked and forcing the powers that be to go ahead and address it over and over again. I think that's the part that I'm looking forward to the most, that he's just going to continue to press in that direction. Do I have an answer for you? No, absolutely not. Especially being a former Division I scholarship athlete. Like, that was a really big perk for us. That, like, actually helped me pay the bills to fund my education. I appreciated that, and I knew that that was really valuable. And I worked hard because I really valued the, the, the trade for effort for paying for some of my classes. I, I get that part. But I think that because of the public knowledge 
of the TV contracts for this particular tournament, I think it's a very fair thing to bring up. Like, where does all this money go to? Maybe we should get some. Maybe we shouldn't. I think the conversation is being pushed in the right direction by Nigel Hayes. And that's the only part that I'd like to applaud him on. I'm not looking at him for answers. I'm not looking at him for a solution. I'm looking at him and saying like, hey, you know what? You're bringing attention to proper things. And that's just one of the things that he's bringing attention to. So that that's my stance on that. That's fair. Uh, that, that's fair. I get it. Uh, I support that. I do. And I think it'd be silly to expect a 21-year-old to come up with like, uh, hey, guys, you know what we're going to do? This is exactly what we're going to do with this revenue. We're going to split the stream into this percentage, and we're going to stream this percentage of the stream uh, to these particular schools because they made it this far in the tournament, or they got this many wins, or they got this many viewers on TV. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that is reasonable for us to expect him to do. Um, I think he is forcing like the powers that be to reevaluate how they're divvying up all of their funds, which I think is very appropriate. So let's head to topic number fourteen. After Nigel Hayes, I didn't. I didn't know we were talking that much about Nigel Hayes. That's pretty awesome. Um, I hope that he talks that much and gets that much attention. Uh, do you want to do a little uh, coaching movement and give your like, uh, you know, two second thought on where some of these coaches are headed to? Yeah, I, I, you know, some of these coaching movements, Gus, makes sense. Doesn't make sense to me. I, you know, I try to look at this as, you know, we're parents, we have families, right? Like you. You get your big payday, but I, you know these guys are super competitive and they look for wins as well. And I, some of these just don't make any sense to me, man. Okay, let's do a little rundown. Like, what we, we're obviously not going to go over all of them, but we'll just give you like some of the highlights. Uh, how about um, well, you know? So we'll pack up the boxes. Here we go. You're removing the the books off the bookshelf, and you're you're throwing them in the moving truck, and we're moving on. Librarian won't be happy about that. No. <laughs> well, you know, as long as you take care of the books, I think the librarian will be okay with that. Keep it down. Will Wade to SLSU from VCU? You okay with that? What are you doing, Will? What are you doing, big guy? What are you doing? You go to a football school. You're going to be a second-class citizen there. Shaquille mm-hmm. O'Neal walking through that door. You had, a, you had a very safe job in VCU at the top of the A-10. You could have waited for a better job. That's not Illinois. It's a little less than Oklahoma State. I ain't buying it. I, I listen. I do not be. I am not saying that Will Wade should not do that. It is none of my business. It is his family. It's his money. What I'm telling you is, you asking me, and I'm sitting there with my kids and my wife. I ain't going to LSU because you know what? Welcome to mediocrity. That's what you're doing in there. You got Kentucky. You got Florida. Okay, Will. Okay, well, you'll sit sideline there at the LSU games. Okay, it's fine. But to me, I don't like the move, Gus. You know what? I'm I'm kind of okay with it. But here's the part I'm not okay with. If you're Will Wade, why don't you just copy what Archie Miller's doing? Archie Miller isn't going anywhere at Dayton. He's staying put. You know why? He's really happy there. Guess who you're in the same conference with? You're in the same conference with Archie Miller, formerly at, you know, at VCU. Why wouldn't you just stay there and you two guys duke it out for the next 10 years? That would be incredible. That would give the A-10 so much clout. And then that would force a bunch of other A-10 teams to step up their game and go ahead and compete with you two guys. You had the brand at VCU. You had a good thing going at VCU. Now you're going to have to rebuild, but maybe that's his thing. Maybe he's looking forward to a rebuild. But if I were Will Wade, I'm kind of with you. Why not just stay in the A-10 with Archie Miller and you guys duke it out 
and just become like the next Gonzaga and the next next Wichita State of mid majors. Gus, I Gus here here I agree with you. The answer is he's bored. That, that's yeah. that's the answer. The answer is he wants a challenge. These guys are super. They are super competitive. Remember the story about Jordan? How Jordan used to bet everybody in the airplane on whose luggage is going to come out first, and everybody <laughs> right. in the plane would throw a hundred bucks in. It was two thousand dollars in the pot, and then Jordan would go and slip the guy sending the bags out about two hundred to bring his bag out first, so he nets eighteen hundred every time, and nobody caught on to it. That's sick. That's sick competitiveness, and that's what Wade is. Wade's like I've dominated the A ten. We've done really well. I've been here for two years. I'm still under shock. Is shock as shadow? Whether that's true or not, I'm just telling you what he may think. And now he wants to go at LSU and be the man. I get it. I just think LSU is very limited on how dominant they can be in basketball. I agree with you there. I don't know if that's a great basketball job anymore. Uh, maybe in the past it used to be, but I don't know if it's that that has that status any longer. How about Keats to NC State? I think that's kind of smart. Yeah, I love it. Love it on both accounts. You know, they got rid of Godfrey. You and I championed Godfrey, how we thought it was a raw deal, and we thought he did a good job. Kevin Keats is a good coach. I like the move. He goes from UNC Wilmington. Okay, now we're talking about the CAA. He jumps into the ACC. This is a place that can win. This is the place that loves basketball. It's basketball first there. That's the deal. I like it for Keats. I like it for NC State. I give them credit. They got a good coach. They got rid of Godfrey, but they got a good coach. I do like this move. You know what? I didn't think that they would get the type of coach that Keats is. So I applaud NC State on going ahead and nabbing a great up-and-coming coach. And I applaud Keats for going ahead and grabbing a great job. His situation isn't going to be that different from Will Wade's, where he's going to be start, you know, build, you know, he's going to have to dig himself out of a big hole there and go ahead and build some competitiveness. But I, I kind of, I think it's a good match. I, I feel like it's just a good match with coach and program. Uh, you might know a little bit more about this than, than than I, but how about Kelsey to UMass, Mike? Love Kelsey. Everybody up in Amherst is very very excited. Guy cool. is a, he's a 41-year-old guy. He's a high-energy guy. He comes from Winthrop. They won back-to-back Big South championships. They made the, the tournament two years in a row. Love Pat Kelsey. I think it's a good hire. You need a lot of energy. He's an X and O guy. He was at Xavier, so he's familiar with the A-10. He was an assistant there at Xavier on the Mac for a while. Very, very good hire. I think this is the right move, and he can do some things there at UMass. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with it, too, and I think UMass needed this type of guy. I think they needed like an up-and-coming guy and not like a retread guy. So I think this is a great hire for UMass. And much like we talked about with Will Wade at VCU, maybe Kelsey can elevate UMass to that status of like, hey, we're going to try to beat and compete with the Daytons of the A-10. Like that might be pretty cool. Uh, even though he didn't move anywhere, how about King Rice staying put in Mammoth? I think that's nice. Smart move. Hoops Weiss talked about it on a tweet. He said, be careful of dead-end jobs. I don't know why we're going to Duquesne. That made no sense. I actually liked him going to UMass. King Rice is a really good coach. He's done a great job at Monmouth. He should have been in the tournament the last two years. He's been Agreed. a tremendous player. Final four, Dean Smith, third or fifth, and all-time the assist lead is at UNC. He'll get a good job. Good move staying there. Wait for something better. I agree, especially because he has such a good thing going at Monmouth and if you look at their schedule the last couple of uh, years, they go out and play people. He's going to go out and do it again. Like, why not just go ahead and keep doing your thing at Monmouth and winning 30 games a year? And one of these times you're going to get into the tournament. And I bet if Monmouth gets in the tournament next year, I bet they're going to be one of those surprise teams that wins a game because I think they're that good. And I think he brings in that good a player and that talent, that caliber and that talent of player. So I think great job out of King Rice staying put. Keep doing your thing at Monmouth. Go for it, Kill Trice. How about uh, Kazo Martin at uh, Missouri? Did you do you feel like that was a mismatch? Do you feel like it was a good match? Do you think that was a little bit 
off the radar. What what was your take on that particular one? I like I like Martin. He's a he's a native of East St. Louis, Illinois. He got a huge deal there. His plan is to stay there for twenty years. They all say that, but he can recruit. He he's familiar. He was with Tennessee for a while. Played at Purdue. He was all excited about Purdue. You know, against Kansas this weekend. He's done a good job. Did a good job at Cal. I like the move. I like locking up coaches, giving them time there, long-term contracts. Sure. I think this is a solid move. I think this is the first thing that they've done right in a really long time at the athletic department at Mizzou. At Mizzou. And I hope that they just give him the time to get it right and don't like pull the trigger on him in year two if he's like, I don't know, you know, has three wins in the in in, in conference and he's struggling. Like, give the guy some time. You gave him a big contract. Give him the time to figure it out. I think he's going to figure it out, and I think he's going to get some good players in there and bring that program back to relevancy, and maybe even bring him back to the tournament like uh, the, you know they were a couple of years ago with uh, Kim, Kim English. Uh, I guess the last two things we need to touch on for the coaching thing are: um, is Cal a good job anymore? Is anybody going to take that job? You know, I think it's a good job for a Pat Kelsey, young Will Wadeish guy. I, okay. I, th- I think it is somebody who's going to be fired up. Let's go. Has the X's and O's, but has the energy. You're not going to take an old 53 year old guy. And there's a couple out there. I'm not going to degrade them. I'm just saying an older guy from a smaller conference. You're not going to put him there. So right. yeah, I think you need a young LG guy. Yeah, I do. But it's, it's a tough place. I mean, PAC 12 is difficult. And very difficult. Um, I think you, if, if you are going to get a guy, an older guy like that, I think you need like a, an actual like carbon copy of Mike Montgomery who was there who found some success later on in his career. So if you are going to get an older guy, uh, like a retread guy, I think you have to actually hit like, you know, hit, hit, uh, hit the redo button and just get a, a coach exactly like that. And how about, um, last place? How about Indiana? Uh, do we feel like they're going to maybe do a parallel step? with Crean and just get somebody just like Crean? Are they going to go a step up? Or do you think they might actually do a step down and go somebody off the radar here? Or did they just not know how good they had it with Crean? Gus, Steve Alford's going to be the next coach at Indiana. There you go. You okay. can lie. And I'll tell you, here's my rationale. Number one, I'll call it the Brad Underwood corollary. You're a head basketball coach, Gus, like this, and you want to be at a school where basketball is king. If you read between the lines on Underwood, he just did not want to be at Oklahoma State because they will never be, they'll always be second fiddle. Now he waited for a job to come along that was good. Illinois comes along and he grabs it. Steve Alford's out of UCLA. He took a letter out to, in the newspaper to the fans apologizing. People do not show up to those games. Walton loves it. So does Wooden. I understand that. But the fans in California are not as passionate. Indiana is insanity. This guy grew up. He played basketball in Indiana as a high school kid. He was Mr. Basketball Indiana. He played for Bob Knight. They won a title. You're telling me he's not going home. And by the way, Gus, they will break the bank to get him there. Call it the Brad Underwood corollary. I think no matter what happens, he will end up there. That's my prediction. You know, he still goes. I heard someplace where um, he still goes back and uh, he fishes there over the summer. Ready for the yeah, absolutely. Ready for this one? If if that's not good enough for reason right there, I don't know what is. Coach Alford, you're about to go into the biggest game of the year against Kentucky. Are you saying that you wouldn't take a call if Indiana called you? That's what they asked him. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that right now. Okay, he's at UCLA and he's not going to comment. No comment is a comment, Gus. Yeah, that that that. As much as you try to sidestep that as a coach uh, in the press conference, like. 
the answer is always very telling. Even if you go no comment, your no comment is very telling. I agree with that. Just say no and have your agent call Indiana and say, listen, ignore that. But just say no. UCLA, you kidding me? Wow. All right. So let's go to topic 15 in our Sweet 16 rundown. Mike, what is the best individual matchup that you're looking forward to in the Thursday, Friday night game round of the Sweet 16? I'm going to go – this is this is one that you mentioned, and I'm going to go right back to it because I'm totally going to pay attention to it. I'm looking forward to it, and I kind of want him to go off in a big way to make this game really close. I'm looking forward to Blewett from Xavier taking on both Trier and Allen from Arizona because you know they're going to switch up the defense on him, and they're not going to put Trier on him the whole game. They'll definitely put Allen, who's a, with their best perimeter defender, on him. But I'm looking, for that, looking forward to that matchup because Arizona will go a little bit of man – and so they will go ahead and try to man up with Blewett. And I want to see if Blewett just takes one of those guys to school and just goes off like he has in the second half of his first two round games. I want to see Fox Ball. I think both of these guys see this as a chance for a title. I think both these guys see this in maybe their mind, more importantly, an NBA draft top who's going to get picked ahead of each other. Fox Ooh. is going to have a chip on his shoulder. Ball thinks he's the man right now. I want to see it. I want to see Kentucky beat UCLA. I'm rooting for that because I want to see something that I do not think can happen. But it ain't going to happen unless Fox really gets that ball. It can't be even. And he beat him the first time. The first time he played, yeah. he forced a lot of turnovers in the ball, but Ball won the game. UCLA won the game. I want to see Fox Ball. That, to me, is, is the primetime matchup. I, I, I totally – I can't not agree with you there, but I'm, I, I'm just kind of rooting for, like, the, the underdog Blewett to go off against the, uh, you know, the favored uh, Arizona Wildcats. All right, and topic 16. Listeners, you got through all, top, all, all, through, uh, through all Sweet 16 topics. Mike, what is going to be your Wichita State-Dayton game? of this particular round, the game that you're, you can't wait to watch the game that you had your eyes on. As soon as you saw the matchups, the game that you're like, all right, I'm, I'm clearing everything. I'm putting the kids to bed. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing any work. I'm not opening a computer screen. I'm just watching this game with a beverage. I'm going to say, I'm totally looking forward to that Florida Wisconsin matchup. That matchup is going to be amazing. I can't wait to watch the point guard matchup in that. And of course I can't also, you know, one and one A for me is going to be Gonzaga, West Virginia as well. I'm totally selfish and rooting for Gonzaga. I, I'm rooting for Mark Few to make that Final Four. I, I, I want to see how they handle the press. So I think both of those games are my Dayton Wichita State games for this particular round. Hard versus head. My head game is Gonzaga, West Virginia. I want to see the matchup. I want to see what Few does. I want to see what Huggy does. I'm really interested. I'm, I'm getting my popcorn, as Gasway said earlier. I'm sitting down. I want to see that game. I think it is a brilliant deep dive basketball junkie game to see what happens. Yeah. At heart, I want to see Purdue, Kansas. I want to see Kansas in trouble. I want to see Caleb Swanigan say, this is my tournament. I'm taking over this tournament. Get me the ball. I love the fact that at the end of the Iowa State game, everyone cleared out of the way. Dakota Mathias, get out of the way. Carson Edwards, get out of the way. Give the man the ball. They cannot double him. You can't double him because Purdue shoots too many threes. So you know what? Get him the ball. Give me a tie game with four minutes left. At that 939 starter on Thursday, I'll be the happiest guy around. Frank Mason, Caleb Swanigan, who's moving on? I think it's Purdue. Imagine the winner of that game. It's, like, it's, like, it's almost like, doesn't it feel like the winner of that game might be the player of the year, too? You're darn right. And I think they're yeah. both going to be awesome. I think yeah, they're both going to have I a crazy wait. game. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I agree. I can't wait. And also, I feel like both of them have mismatches in their favor. Like, I feel like Swanigan has a mismatch in his favor down low, and I also think Mason has Definitely. a mismatch uh, in the backcourt. No doubt. Um, yep. With a little bit, you know, he he's facing guys that are exactly his size, and I don't think anybody can check him in the Purdue backcourt. So th- that part is also exciting, too. Like, uh, now that we're talking about it, I'm getting a little giddy. That's awesome. Yes, let's go. <laughs> All right, Mike, along with the Sweet 16, as teams get eliminated, as the coaching carousel moves around and the music plays, we also have early entries into the NBA draft. So we've had a few big names put their names in that are going to sign with an agent. Those players cannot come back to school. We've had a group of other players that have declared for the NBA draft that are saying they are not going to sign with an agent, which is basically like an awesome job interview. And then they have the option to go back to their university and play beyond the years uh, and and go ahead and finish out their degree maybe, or at least get another year and work on some of the things that the NBA executives say, your game is lacking this. Uh, Mike, do you want me to read off a couple of these names, or do you have an opinion on a few of these guys right off the bat of people declaring agents or people declaring without an agent? Yeah, I'm pretty annoyed by this. I'm going to give some advice to all those college basketball players that are out there that are declaring at a young age. Folks, if you're not going to be a top 10 pick, why are you coming out? And I'm going to give you my rationale here. Let's look at some players last year that came out early. Chris Dunn came out as a junior. Okay, now that's not that early, but as a junior, he was the fifth overall pick. He's in Minnesota. He's averaging 16 minutes a game and 3.6 points per game. Okay, Chris Dunn could have been the number one pick overall if he came back. I, I'm, this is what I'm, what I'm, I'm aiming at here. Jakob Pertl, maybe because I walked by Jakob Pertl when I was out in Milwaukee there watching the Bucks games, was ninth overall last year, Gus. He was a junior. Toronto, 10.8 minutes per game, 2.5 points per game. So he's playing 10 minutes and 2.5 points. Actually, I think he was a sophomore, rather. I think he was a sophomore. Yeah. Uh, Devonta Davis, freshman of Michigan State. Talk about a disaster. Came out, was drafted 31st overall, passed around to a couple teams, ends up in Memphis, six minutes per game, 2.5 points per game. You're telling me Devonta Davis couldn't increase his stock by coming back to Michigan State this year and playing alongside Miles Bridges? that's my point. Diamond Stone last year comes out as a freshman, is drafted in round two, the 40th pick overall to the Clippers. Gus, three minutes a game, 1.4 points per game. Diamond Stone's going to be in in the uh, developmental league very, very soon. Bryce Johnson was a senior, just to show you something. Stayed as a senior on the Clippers, three minutes, one point per game. So even if you're drafted late in the first round, there's only two rounds here. There's no guarantee. I understand you want money. I understand a lot of times their families need money. I can respect that. But I think that staying one more year or two more years to put yourself in a situation where you can be drafted high is the right move. Two left for you. Malachi Richardson. Syracuse couldn't have used him this year. Came out because he had a good game against Virginia, basically, right? was a freshman, 22nd overall. He's with the Kings, 9 minutes per game, 3.5 points per game. These kids do not understand that you sit on the bench, that there are great players across the board there. I'll give you one from last year, then I'm done. Tyus Jones at Duke. They win the national title two years ago. He's a freshman, 24th overall. Gus, he's played 15 minutes per game, averaging 4.2 points. This year he's dropped 12 minutes per game, 3.4 points. You're telling me he's having fun? Tyus Jones could have gotten Duke back to God knows where. He could have been a top 10 pick. This is my point. Don't come out, guys, 
unless you know you're going to be a high draft pick. There are foreign players you don't know about. These kids have visions of grandeur in their head. What is the point in getting a three-year contract, Gus, a rookie contract, and then playing in the CBA? What is the point in that? To me, stay in school. Get the free education. Get better. Get more notoriety. I don't know a lot of players, Gus, that have stayed in and gotten worse. And I just feel badly for these kids. I really do. Hey, do you want to bring this thing full circle? You know what might help with this? What Nigel Hayes is talking about. It, 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 imagine, imagine if the players got paid a little bit. Maybe there would be less players coming out early and would help solve some of this problem. Yes. Just, I, just, just, just throwing it out there. No, it is. My point is, like, Nigel, we've been all year long. Like, at some point, like, you can't just right. keep talking about the problem. Like, I, like, people know about this. Like, you, like mm-hmm. you bring, you're bringing awareness to something that people already are aware of. I think we right. need a solution. And you're right. It may be not, it's Nigel Hayes' job to do that. Nigel Hayes' job right now is to get to the Final Four. Fair enough. Right. But I, to me, it's difficult because you are getting a free education. So yeah. if you're Malachi Richardson and you're at Syracuse and you're going to come out and be the 22nd pick overall in the draft, Malachi, you could have been top 10 this year. There is no doubt about it. Syracuse makes the tournament. You average 18 points per game. You get yourself on an All-American team. But he comes out because he bangs in 14 points in 10 minutes against Virginia. That's why he came out, Gus. Yeah. And I, it's just frustrating to me. Like. Stay in. Stay get like you guys, you, you can burn. Have you seen Lenny Cook? Have you seen the Lenny Cook situation? Like you can lose a lot of money here. You can your life can be thrown away. You have a great talent, but you want security. The money will be there. Here's here's my only here's my two cents on your diatribe and situation. Why don't you just do what a couple of the players are smartly doing this year? Just declare without an agent. That way you get to go to the combines. Agreed. You get to go to the workouts. You get to get valuable input from NBA executives of things that you can go back and work on. And then guess what? If you like what you hear, go ahead and hire your agent and declare fully. If you don't like what you hear and you say like an NBA executive says your handle isn't tight enough or your three-point percentage isn't high enough, guess what you're doing all summer? You're going back to school and working on high, you know, you're, you're asking like one of the, one of your awesome team managers to say like, Hey, the executive from the, uh, Toronto Raptors told me I needed to work on skill X every day for half an hour until classes start. We're working on skill X. Like, I, I think that's really valuable. So if you are going to go ahead and declare, and you're not sure, and like you said, like you're not going to be a top ten pick. Like let's say you're not Markel Fultz, let's say you're not Jason Tatum. Everybody but those two guys, then go ahead and not like just don't hire an agent and get the information. Like you have a system that's going to help you get the information that you want to make an educated decision. So go ahead and be educated about it and use the system to the best of your advantage. Yeah. I think that like I think it's set up for them to do that, but I also think that some other I, I don't know. I think some other players have too many people chirping in their ear, and those chirps aren't telling them the right information. You, that well said, Gus. I agree with you. You got a great list here. We're going to talk about some real quick. Here's my point: LJ Peak declare with an agent. LJ Peak at Georgetown. Where the when we do our NBA draft, can you please remind <laughs> me to bring up LJ Peak? At yes. what point is a team in the first round of the NBA draft going to say, "Man, we need LJ Peak"? No one's taking him. I mean, it, it, it is more second round. Then, uh, gosh, more second round than I don't know who. I, I, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, okay. J- just so, just so we're straight. So, so far, and this, you know, this list isn't set in stone, of course. 
Uh, it's very fluid, as they like to say. So the the players that have declared and signed with an agent, so they're out. They're done. Their college eligibility is over. Dwayne Bacon, Florida State, probably a first-round pick. Juwan Evans, Oklahoma State, if your coach leaves, that's a tough call. Like I, I, I kind of don't blame him for doing that. He has a change of scenery. He had an awesome season. He is a difference maker. I get it. Markel Fultz, there's been talk of him being the first player picked all year. Tyler Lydon, Syracuse. I'm just going to say interesting. LJ Peak that you brought up, interesting. Ivan Rabb, California. Okay. And Jason Tatum, Duke. I get it. Can I, can I go one by one here and give a defense? Yeah. Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne, you are peak and valley bacon. Okay? Dwayne Bacon is a mid to late first round pick. If Dwayne Bacon's as good as Dwayne Bacon thinks he is, he should come back. He could be a top 10 pick. I get Jawan Evans. I'm with you on that one. But to me, Jawan Evans is a late first round pick. If you're a late first round pick, if they hire Gottlieb or whoever they're rumored to get, you could be a featured guy in the Big, in the big 12 next year. But I do understand that one. You know what, Gus, on Markel Fultz? If you told me I was going to be a top two pick in the draft, I'd come out too. Let me tell you something. I'm an NBA exec. I ain't touching Markel Fultz. Based on what? What did Markel Fultz show you this year? You know, Greg Oden showed you a lot too. How'd that work out? What did Fultz show you? You're going to take him over Miles Bridges? You're going to take him over De'Aaron Fox? You're going to take him over Lonzo Ball? You're going to take him over Malik Monk, who had dropped 50? So, you know, I get why he's doing it, man, but I'm not taking Markel Fultz in the top five. I'm sorry. What, what, what are we basing this on? Well, he was really good in high school, and that's what the scouts said. Please. Tyler Lydon, I'm not even justifying that one. LJ Peak next. Ivan Rabb. Gus, we talked about this. You and I mentioned on that very first podcast that he was mm-hmm. the classic guy to get worse. He got worse. Why is he yep. coming out? Because Martin left? Fine. And here's my one with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is a star. Jason Tatum had a tremendous end of the season. You were all over Jason Tatum. He was one of the two best players on the floor for you. You were totally right about that. Jason Tatum can be first-team All-American next year if he comes back to Duke. Totally. Why would he risk being the 15th, 14th type of player? He could be the number one overall pick next year. Stay one more year at Duke with Coach K. Stay one more year at Grayson Allen and the rest of that team. And that's why I put that out on Twitter. Jason, great job. I support it. But you know what, man? You're missing out because you could have been a top-five pick. Uh, you know what? I'm going to argue that with you right right now. On I, I think he's going to be a top five pick this year. Uh, if he is, then it's the right move. Then if yeah. then it's the right. Uh, move. No, I, no, I, I think he's going to be a top five pick this year. I, I think he'll go somewhere in the top five. Fultz will go somewhere in the top five. Ball will go somewhere in the top five. We can you know we can add into that top five as we get a little bit closer to the NBA draft. But I, I don't. I, I think it would be silly for NBA teams if they did not draft him somewhere in the top five or six. So I argue you on that one. I think he made the right move. Um, I think that was the move all along. The interesting one from Duke is going to be what Giles does. Oh, don't even! Please don't even! Don't even! I'm, do you I'm want to get me worked up that, here? That's, that's that's the interesting one. That's what is interesting, interesting about Harry Giles? What the heck is interesting? Two knee surgeries? What is interesting about him? I it, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, maybe maybe nice. he's going to get healthy. I mean, there is a gr- unbelievable medical staff at Duke. Oh, so why not stay at Duke and get all the way healthy and prove yourself in a season? Uh, but at the would, same time. Harry. He was one of those top three players oh. that was going to be drafted this year. Oh. So was Kwame Brown. I, I just I can't do this anymore. Harry Giles. If Harry Giles declares, man, I, I can't. I love when you go to the to the line. I can't do this anymore. I, 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 I kept. I, I know you're really. I can't. And I get what you're saying about Tatum. I just don't know if Tatum is a true 
dribble one-on-one guy. I think he can be an and-one mixtape one-on-one guy with one more year of seasoning. But if he gets drafted in the top five, I have to shut my mouth. I think he's a taller Bradley Beal. I think he's going to be awesome. Do you want to go through the list of uh, guys that declared without an agent? So maybe like the smart guys, if you want to call them that. Sure. Ready for this one? Uh, Kadeem Allenton. Uh, I'm sorry, Kadeem, uh, Kadeem Carrington from Seton Hall. Come back next year. John Collins, Wake Forest. You had a great end of the year, but come back, you could be a star. One of my favorites, Daddy, that was a deep three. Marcus Keene, Central Michigan. I'm okay with this one. K. Felder, Carl Larry. Very good. Kyle Kuzman, Utah. Stop. Next. Donovan Mitchell, Louisville? Yeah. Uh, were your zeros every other game, Donovan? I don't think so. Uh, Mika, BYU. Next. Trevor Thompson, Ohio State. LJ Peak. <laughs> Thomas Will- uh, Wildner, Western Michigan. Again, I like the small school guys. I'd like to see him back again, but I could be talking to that. And Omar Yurtsvin, the big guy from NC State. Bless you. <laughs> Very good. Just, just want to give you a rundown. <laughs> Mike Randall, what else do we want to give the listeners this evening? My friend, do your thing. Do what you do. Give them the fishy lines. Go ahead. Beautiful. Okay. So we got back to uh, our some of our roots here at Screen the Screener podcast, and uh, I went ahead and crunched a whole bunch of numbers for some of the Sweet 16 games this, se- uh, this particular weekend, and I have two, maybe three, two definite fishy lines that I think are worth taking a look at if your thing is to wager on sporting events. So first one I'd like you to take a look at is the Baylor-South Carolina game. Baylor is currently favored by about three and a half, according to your book. We took a look at some of the metrics. We took a look at, we took a look at some of the uh, numbers. We took a look at some of the stats. We took a look at some of the past results. The screen the screener official fishy line situation really likes Baylor and the points here. We like taking Baylor to cover over South Carolina with the outright win and covering the three and a half points. The podcast is 25 and 13 on the season. Is it a stellar record? No. Is it a very confident winning record? Absolutely. So we advise you to take the Baylor Bears against the South Carolina Gamecocks. In the other fishy line, which will fly in the face of Mike Randall's prediction earlier in the podcast, we crunched a whole bunch of numbers. We took a look at a whole bunch of things. We like Kentucky, depending on what your line is. If it's even or one point the other, uh, either way, it is worth picking Kentucky. Go Kentucky in that big Friday night matchup. The metrics say so. And the last one, this one is a little bit heart. It's a little bit metrics. It's a little bit come on zags. The Zags are favored by three over West Virginia. We're going to say Zags are going to cover. They're going to cover by more than three points. Take the Zags and the points and give them the outright win. That's a slight lean on that one. That one's like our, uh, uh, we're not so totally sure on that one. But if we're going to go three picks, three fishy lines for you this Sweet 16, we're saying Baylor, they're going to cover. We're saying give us Kentucky over UCLA with that even line or the point either way and we're going to say give us Gonzaga to cover with a about three point line there's your fishy lines for the sweet 16 do what you will with them we're going to put them out on twitter so they're official for the whole country and basketball vagabond nation to see Uh, 
That feels good to get a couple of those fishy lines back out there for the listeners, Mike Randall. Gus, I really like it. Uh, I like the Baylor one. I think that's a good one. I'm rooting for Kentucky. I want this to be known to all our fans. Uh, Brian is out there as well listening. I want to see something that I don't think can happen. That's what I want at this point in the tournament. I'm a, I was born on the Villanova-Georgetown upset, right? I cannot see a way Kentucky keeps that game closer wins. I hope I'm wrong. I will be fired up if De'Aaron Fox is doing that Euro step and Lonzo Ball's falling. I'll be the high, biggest one cheering. So I'm hoping that that one's coming through. This is what I'll say about Gonzaga-West Virginia, Gus. Don't let it be close. If that game is close with two minutes left, the way they played against BYU at home, they don't shoot the three that well on a consistent basis. West Virginia's the underdog. They'll be right up in their grill. To me, Gonzaga... Get an eight-point lead going into the two-minute mark. Get a six-point lead. Go make West Virginia have to make shots. Gus, if that's a close game with two minutes left, I would be very concerned. But I anticipate between the 10 to the five-minute mark, Gonzaga will pull away. Excellent. Okay. There are your fishy lines. There's Mike Randall's rationale on the fishy lines. We just want to say our thank yous out there. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you for tuning us in on our new platform with Blog Talk Radio. We're really thankful to Blog Talk Radio and all the help that they've given us getting us started. Uh, so thanks, listeners, for following over us uh, following us, us over to that new platform. And thank you, original listeners that are just you know tuning us in where you normally tune us in on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, you can email the show at sdspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up if you have any questions. Uh, we love uh, corresponding with you guys. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at SDS Podcast. Uh, we love uh, you know corresponding and interacting with you guys via Twitter. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Thank you Belljar for bringing us in and out every time. You can find those guys on, uh, of course, on iTunes and on CD Baby. And uh, any and thank you Technology Department, Technology Department for giving us our stats, uh, helping us with the transfer over to Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much Technology Department. Technology, all Big Ten, Midwest Elite Eight. Oh, that's good for you. <laughs> all right, Mike Randall. I think we've given the listeners all they want and then a little bit more. So thank you, listeners, for digesting everything out there. We totally appreciate you guys tuning in and, and, and riding along the Sweet 16 with us. Bells are coming in. Sweet 16 coming up Thursday night. Get your popcorn ready. We're for Gonzaga. I want to see it happen for Gus. <laughs> <laughs>